Tuning into the 496th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D, Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening on, thank you for making me in the show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting other platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. Gonna have Kenny Simmons, scouting expert for 247 Sports to break down and recap everything that went down for week seven of NFL action. Now, before we get to that with Kenny, I'm gonna give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast through friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc. etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and it'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrate underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. I post two five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Sim on the show. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to break down and recap everything that went down for Week 7 of NFL action. Kenny, how you doing? How you living, my guy? Good, Daryl. Doing well. Good to be back. Week 7. So, Kenny, Sunday Night Football, Steelers-Dolphins... This was kind of like the first time I can remember the Dolphins being on Sunday Night Football. Maybe they were on it last year, but I feel like they weren't. Yeah, they don't get on a lot, especially at home. Doesn't feel like they have a lot of fun, uh, a lot, a lot of Sunday night games, let alone Sunday night home games under the lights in Miami. But it was a game where it was Tua's first game back from a concussion. And they were able to hold serve, get some late stops at home to get back in the win column. So, you know, Miami Dolphins, 4-0 with two as their starter. Yeah, I thought that was definitely a big thing for them, obviously, with Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater after the whole Tua concussion you know, fiasco. They, they talked about that a lot during the game, too. Do you think too much is being talked about it during the game? No, I think it's a talking point that has to be brought up. It was going to be a three-hour two-up-fest on the concussion, but he has been cleared of a concussion, and he was still in the protocol, and 
finally out of it and 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 cleared so he's back in you know he's he's just a he's just an injury prone guy but um this new protocol he was in it he passed and he was safely cleared back for football so third quarter Dolphins go for it on fourth and three. Um, a run to Chase Edmonds. They don't get it. Uh, what do you kind of think about calls like that? And I always kind of go back and forth myself because I'm like, in that situation, you should probably try to take the points. Like, do you think going for it in that situation is the right call? No. No. And, and unfortunately... You know, it seems like the case is now, you just say the analytics say for it, and like it's, it's as if they're 100% right, and everybody's off the hook, whatever happens. And it's fourth and three, it's not fourth and one. And I'm an analytics guy, too. But you kick the field goal to go up by two possessions. So, so, so I like kicking a field goal. It, it depends on a lot of circumstances, but I like kicking field goals to go to, to, to change the possession of the game. So this goes from a one-possession game to a two-possession game. Also, if you go for the uh, field goal and, you know, you make the short kick, Dolphins are up nine. Now the Dolphins have all but guaranteed the Steelers have to go into the end zone and score, which they've only been able to do one time tonight versus... You know, a couple of times it could have been two kicks uh, to tie the game. So in this case, I like going for it. And, you know, also it needs to be considered when they don't get it, what what are the chances of losing when a team does not get it? It only shows the win probability. How much does that change versus making a field goal and not getting it? So didn't like the call and by by – uh, not going for it. It kept it a one-possession game. It kept it a 16-10 game the rest of the half. And the Steelers had not one but two opportunities to score a touchdown and win the game. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Last question on the Dolphins is this. Right, you said it 4-0 with Tua at quarterback. Obviously in the AFC, everybody's going to talk about the Bills and the Chiefs. But with a healthy Tua, how real are the Dolphins in terms of potentially interrupting the uh, the prohibitive matchup that everybody wants to talk about, the Chiefs and the Bills? Can the Dolphins interrupt that matchup? There's definitely teams battling for it. I wouldn't put the, uh, in, 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 terms of the in terms of a contender right now, I don't see the Dolphins uprooting that collision course maybe again between Bills and the Chiefs. I actually believe that anybody's going to up, uphold that right now and, and kind, kind of uh, break that off. If it's not, it's going to be one of the teams in the AFC North. Ravens, Bengals. But right now, Dolphins are 4-0. Now, how does that change as the season goes on? More wear and tear on Tua. How does his health and his arm strength hold up when it starts getting cold out? They got to go and they got to play 
games on the road in Buffalo and Kansas City when it gets cold out, kind of neutralize some of that speed. So, you know, it's still going to be a little bit difficult for them to do that. They're going to need to continue to run the football in advantageous situations. Tua will need to continue being accurate, which he was today, getting Waddle and Hill the football as they're moving to get that yak. And then their defense will need to continue to kind of keep things in front of them and make a couple of plays on turnovers on long drives, just one play here or there, which they're able to do tonight. They have a very, very sound defense. That is a Josh Boyer coach defense. But, uh, you know, kind of seeing the change of Tua, Tua is a, you know, he's an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater by a, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a huge margin, but still an upgrade. And it's still one where they're going to have to really be on their A game to win against Buffalo or Kansas City, especially on the road, too. Yeah, and also, you know, they did struggle in the second half offensively. That's not going to, at home, you know, I might add, that's not going to cut it against either the Chiefs or the Bills. So with the Steelers, Kenny Pickett, three interceptions, obviously driving late, throws a game-sealing interception when he really could have run it. Chris Collinsworth mentioned that he really could have run it for like 20 yards. My thought on this, on Kenny Pickett, is this, Kenny. I think they could have trotted out Mitch Trubisky, and he probably would have done a little bit better, and they could have accomplished the same thing. Uh, and my also problem with this is, in terms of giving Kenny Pickett the start, now I get it getting the guy experience, but the right now, the, NFC, the AFC North can be had. So this was a big game for the Steelers, really, in terms of still trying to stay competent in the AFC North race. The difference between being at two wins right now and being at three wins is monumental. So I think they kind of let that slip away. Right. And, and you know, kind of a musical chairs back and forth between Pick and Trubisky, but just the, it's, it's, not a good, it's not a good look right now that, that this is a debate that, that they're debating, you know, Mitch Trubisky versus Pickett. Now, both both do some things that the other one doesn't do to their advantage, but holistically, take on the full picture, both are poor. Now, Kenny Pickett seems like he does process better in the pocket, makes quick decisions as a processor, but does make some of those back-breaking interceptions, like today. Through late, Holland jumped it, and then, and then I don't know what that was at the end of the game. <laughs> to uh, Noah, Noah I, who we were both, you know, a little critical that the Dolphins drafted him with the 30th pick in the 2020 draft, Noah Iggy. Uh, but they were able to make that. But it's, 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 it's turnovers like that, inexperience, whatever, but... You know, they got to get a look at Pickett. Don't think either way it changes the landscape of the Steelers. So you could get Pickett some experience. You see what he does. 
what he does well, what what he does not do. Because also, you know, if they put Trubisky in the game, you know, maybe those third downs, those last two drives in between the 20s, one of those maybe he doesn't pick up. And then they're punting or the drives fizzle out, which Pickett was able to do. But right now for the Steelers, they're not getting winning quarterback play, whoever they put in. Yeah, and the wobblers, too, with Pickett. The arm just isn't very strong or explosive. Uh, uh, that's kind of painfully obvious. And, yeah, he processes better than Trubisky. Uh, goes through his reads better. Gets the ball out of his hands quicker. Uh, I would say he's generally more accurate, but Trubisky, I think, has a much stronger arm. Better athlete. Uh, I, I think there's kind of more things in the QB run game that they can do with him. Uh, but, yeah, not a big difference at all. And... Steelers, 2-5. and five. That's really hard to say. The Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin. Kenny, the non-losing record for Mike Tomlin, the streak's getting broken this year. Yeah, it does seem that's the case with them. They won their first game last week without T.J. Watt in the lineup. So, you know, what was it now? Oh, and one in... One in uh, one in eight now. Without T.J. Watt, he's that big of a difference. Typically, he's about fifty yards and about five and a half six points in favor of the Steelers when he plays. So they dropped the one in eight now. Offense is limited in the pass game. It's not one that's going to just play smash mouth ball and run it on you. A couple of times, why they had ten points is they got behind down a distance couple of sacks, breakdowns like that, one to open up the second half. Defensively, without Watt, two is able to operate. Quarterbacks are able to operate, even run the ball on them. So it does look like this this losing streak is going to happen, I would say. They got the Eagles next week, so you're looking at two and six. And then from there, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have to go seven and two to get a winning record. Just not going to happen. So next, let's go to this. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the San Francisco 49ers. The Chiefs put up 45 points, and Patrick Mahomes just slices and dices them. How shocked were you that the Chiefs were able to move the ball so easily on this Niners defense? That's really, really good. Yeah, pretty surprised for the most part. They, they came in. You know, Mahomes was operating today like it was a seven-on-seven. Over 400 yards, 500 total, three touchdowns. He was able to get the ball out. Uh, Offensive line today, very good protection. And, you know, he, 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 he was able to operate that today when the pressure does not get to Mahomes. He's able just to play pitch and catch with his receivers, and he was able to do that, to do that today. How concerned would you be for the Niners after a performance like that? Well, it's the one where it's 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 a blip. It's a blip for the defense. Defensively, they gotta get healthy, so they have their two linebackers back. Got to get Armstead back, that, that full range of defensive players to roll through. You know, 
had a few guys missing in the secondary. They're coming back, uh, but it was one where, you know, we've seen the San Francisco 49ers for seven games. They've been stout seven or, or six of those seven games on defense. So it's just one where, you know, the third down emphasis, not getting pressure on the quarterback, that really played a factor today. And that's been a blip of what we've seen in the past with San Francisco. They've always been able to get a rush, especially with four guys. They got a run and chase linebacker, but today was one where that was not the case. And you know, once once uh, I will say once Andy Reid gets in a play calling rhythm, man, they are tough to stop. Four touchdowns to start the second half, and it was just a blitzkrieg. Do you have any concerns, or do you believe that the Niners, even with this loss, they're now three and four, they're going to still find themselves in the NFC picture late in the season? Like this is in view. This is a, doesn't change how you view the Niners, right? No, it doesn't change anything with them. It doesn't change anything with them. Only winning record in the in, in their division is Seattle. <laughs> That's still crazy. waiting. Don't know when it's going to happen, but, you know, I'm not sure about you, but I'm kind of waiting when that slipper drops on Seattle and kind of Geno Smith kind of comes back a little bit to at least a replacement-level quarterback. Maybe it's with injuries collectively around him, but waiting when that will happen uh seems like it's going to be way later than anticipated. But whether that happens, like even if it happens late, like week, week, week 15 or 16. But San Francisco, roster for roster in the NFL, is still the best roster. They added Christian McCaffrey. If he does stay healthy, it gives them a very interesting dynamic that San Francisco has not had in the backfield. And with their defense, the way they play, especially, especially as that weather changes, able to run the ball, control the game with long, you know, four, five, six-minute drives with Garoppolo, they're still going to be a factor when it's all said and done. And last year, too, they were three and four at this time, too. Remember, they had a bye week. They came out of that bye week in November, Monday Night Football in the middle of November, and they beat uh, the Rams, and that kind of propelled them to a second half. Uh. On Twitter, uh, I got some tweets for you, Kenny. Guess what everybody was saying about Brock Purdy during the game. You want to guess? Um, they probably want to see him stuck. <laughs> Kenny, there, did I hear a little bit of disdain in your voice when you said that? Yeah, just, just no. <laughs> yes, no. Kenny, you already got it. You already got it. They're like, why can't we give <laughs> Brock Purdy a look? <laughs> I've seen enough. One Niners fan says, I've seen enough. Start Brock Purdy versus the Rams. How crazy is that? Yeah, just just no, man. Just no. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Oh, fans. The fans can be irrational. I love it. Uh, also, Christian McCaffrey, man. Uh when do you think we're going to start seeing Shanahan really start to open up the playbook with McCaffrey? 
but I'd say as early as next week, he already came in. So he got 10 touches today. It was expected of workload, a limited workload. They had a red zone package. They had some of the, just, just a couple of couple of things they wanted to do with him. They still found a way to get the ball 10 times, and he was traded Thursday night. So I would expect that workload to increase, you know, and in a couple of weeks be fully acclimated. Now, he did request the playbook on the plane ride Friday morning to San Francisco so he could begin to learn because that copy, because that playbook is long. It's complicated, especially with the West Coast system. There's a lot of verbiage with Kyle Shanahan. You get the shifts, the plays, the protection, the alerts. You get plays like flip right, double X, jet 36, naked waggle, X7, X quarter alert, long plays, 15 seconds, 10 seconds to get out. So it is a complex system. With the Chiefs, and given what they just did to a Niners team that I think even though they are 3-4 and four below 500, we still think they're one of the best teams in all of football. <clears throat> Any case for the Chiefs to be number two in power rankings ahead of the Eagles? You know, not yet. It's a really a three-horse race. With Buffalo, Philadelphia, Kansas City. Now, right now, currently, you know, they beat right now an average San Francisco team at three and four. That was about a, you know, about a pick up. So they outperformed the market there by 21 points. And. You know, the Eagles on the off week didn't do anything to warrant a drop down. Does McCole Hardman need a bigger role in the Chiefs offense? Three touchdowns. Got him in on those jet sweeps. This is an intriguing one. Yeah, this is an intriguing one where McCole Hardman came in under a 4-3-40. He has that high retail light speed. So... If they could begin to use him, you know, use him in bubbles, use him in those jet sweeps, trying to get him loose downfield, he's the guy in that receiver room that can really stretch the defense and loosen it up and unlock it. Now, for him, it's just been, in his career, just not able to turn high amounts of volume into efficiency. But if they use him downfield more, at least to open things up, seems like that would be the role that he takes in three receiver sets with Juju and MVS. He would be that take the top off the defense, vertical tree, route runner. But he does add an element that nobody else on that team has in the receiver room with his elite speed. In terms of your speed, McCall Harbin has to be one of the ten fastest receivers in the NFL. I'm just going to say that. Oh, yeah. Like, he has to be up there with guys like a Waddle, um, a Tyreek Hill. Guys who are just Marcus pure. Goodwin. Yeah. Those guys who are just pure, pure blazers at the position. So, next, we're going to talk a little bit about Tampa. Uh, what a disappointing performance, Kenny. What a disappointing performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was telling everybody, talked about this on 
the show uh, on Thursday, Tampa's not going to cover. They're not going to cover. They're not playing particularly good football. Uh, neither were the Panthers, but this is also a divisional game on the road. We still question this Tom Brady even all in football. Todd Bowles seems a little over his head. Uh, so, I mean, it, it just, n- nothing was screaming to me, Tampa's going to blow them out. This isn't Tampa Bay from two years ago. What is the panic meter right now for Tampa on a 1-10, to 10, Kenny? It's got to be about an 8. Listen, this Tampa Bay team has just gotten taken to the woodshed the last two weeks by P.J. Walker and Mitch Trubisky. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it, it, it seems like off-field, their issues are more prevalent than what they do on the field as well. But, you know, what is going on? It just seems like Tom Brady made a mistake coming back. And if there was any guy that should be treated differently, it's the go. And he is. And there's just there was just a different set of rules with him, but it's getting the locker room out of sync. If there's one thing about Tampa this year, it's just been, they've been out of sync. And you wonder, you know, that full locker room, are they all pushing in the same direction? They're rowing the boat in the same direction. Right now, it does not seem like they're on the same page. Offensive coordinator, Byron Lethbridge, really struggling without Bruce Arians. You lose some of those explosive plays. They don't run the ball like they used to. And, you know, some of that has to do with their interior offensive line, not like it was last year and in 2020. And a lot of items are beginning to add up, even today with Brady. You know, only thought... Only 5.9 yards in attempt. Those explosives were not there. The one explosive that was, Mike Evans dropped it, but the explosives are, are not there. The defense is getting run on. You know, that was a concern. Yeah, they got gashed. The head coach role. Yeah, I mean, over six yards of carry. So they have, you know, at three and four, they have a lot of, a lot of issues to work out. You saw massive holes in the run game. You just saw there were times where Chuba Hubbard and Dante Freeman, they're just running 10 yards before they get touched, man. And it's just <laughs> it's just like this is an NFL game. This is not high school or college football. This isn't St. Ed's playing Aurora, Kenny. <laughs> like that shouldn't be going on. Uh and it's really interesting you do mention this with Tom Brady, you know, the locker room being out of sync. Do you think that the Bucks would even want him back next year? I mean, they would... I would guess they want him back just because, you know, they're going to be a contender in the whole thing. If he does return. Versus he doesn't return, 
now they have a massive issue at quarterback. The quarterback will not be on the roster. Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert. And they've really built this team for Tom Brady. So the veterans getting up there in age then, you know, those free agents that they're able to sign, those veteran free agents not coming to Tampa. But this team is really built up to win right now. So I would say they would take them back just because of, you know, they would be at worst a contender and in the conversation to get into the playoffs. And then from there, it's a different ball game. Kenny, the offensive line is shot. They only have two good offensive linemen. Shaq Mason and Tristan Worfs. Center, left guard, right tackle, all big question marks. Chris Godwin, Still getting healthy. Mike Evans, maybe he's lost a tad bit of his explosiveness. Tom Brady, we don't know what's going on there. Uh, clearly, it doesn't seem like football's his main priority right now. I understand he has a lot of personal family issues that's going on. The running game has disappeared. And the defense just isn't the same. And, of course, they got to get a lot of guys healthy. It's They're not whole. But this Tampa team... They seem like they're better. They're, they're more better in fantasy than in reality right now. They have a lot of names, but not a lot of substance. No depth. Because at this point, Kenny, I'll be honest with you. I think Atlanta's a better football team. Atlanta's outplayed them this year, I think. I think right now Atlanta should be the favorite in the division. And, wow. the, and to me, the only reason we're saying that Tampa will win the division is because they have Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Devin White, Levante David. But none of these guys have played well. And it's all a mess. So I'm out on Tampa. I'm out on Tampa until further notice. Yeah, I was going to say they're one... The one positive is they are in a really bad division that nobody wants to win. I don't know. Maybe eight wins wins it for them. Atlanta does have one path, one path to win, uh, but it's one that I still see as unsustainable with the lack of passing that they have. But we'll get to that when we get to that Falcons-Bengals game. But they have one path only to win a very select game script that's just over the course of time several weeks just not sustainable I would agree with you I don't know how sustainable their passing attack is not to get too much in the Falcons but I don't know what's sustainable what's going on in Tampa is either so this might just be what we thought the NFC East was going to be where a 7 win team wins it or something well, we thought this was this is the worst division in football right now like there might be a oh, 7 win team great. There might be a seven-win team. So the clock might strike midnight on Atlanta, but maybe it strikes midnight and they win with seven wins. <laughs> so, I mean, nobody wants to win this division. Not at all. So next, let's go to this. Another disappointment. The Green Bay Packers, Kenny. Uh, first of all, who, what was more disappointing this Sunday for you? Green Bay or Tampa? Well, it'd be Tampa. It'd be Tampa as a 13-point road favorite. Against a team with the interim head coach, P.J. Walker. And they also traded their best player, 
Christian McCaffrey, and they lay a complete egg. At least Green Bay was competitive in this game with opportunities to win. So, me with Green Bay. Losing to the Commanders. That's not much better than losing to the Panthers, though, Kenny. You have to admit. It's oh, not... yeah. Yeah, definitely true. So, what's the panic meter for the Packers right now? Well, this one is about... This one's about... You know, I'm going to say... I'm going to say here at seven and a half as well, because they do not have the opportunity to lean back on their division as a crutch. Minnesota is up three games in the loss column to Green Bay, and Minnesota also has the tiebreaker as well. So they're really up four games right now. And Green Bay has personnel questions that at least Tampa does not have. They have personnel questions in getting back to the run game, dividing carries between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. It should probably be more of a 50-50 split, if not a little bit more in favor of A.J. Dillon, especially when the weather gets colder. As a physical back, use Aaron Jones in that passing game. And they they have a lot of personnel questions at receiver. Christian Watson this year, this year is a redshirt year for him. It's a write-off. He's he's hurt again. He missed all camp. Rookies have a lot to learn at the receiver position going into the NFL. He missed all the camp. He's already behind. Now he's hurt his hamstring again. This is going to be a write-off year. So anything they get from Christian Watson is a bonus. I don't expect a lot. Romeo Dubs, up and down. They have to use Alan Lazard more. They have to use Aaron Jones more. Sammy Watkins, shell of himself. I mean, he is a complimentary receiver, and he might be called upon to be a key cog. The explosive plays are not there either, Daryl. You know, this is an explosive plays-based league. Explosives are not there. So, Aaron Rodgers, I thought he played really well today. But, you know, he's doing it with a patchwork group of receivers that are not progressing at this level. Um, you know, through, through through seven weeks, they look like this uh, tight end room, especially the receiver room, has been a stalemate. And it, 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 it has not improved as the season has gone on. You will at least want to see gradual, incremental improvement as the season progresses. And this is interesting, right? Alan Lazard's probably their best wide receiver. Where would you put Alan Lazard in terms of wide receivers in the NFL? Probably put him outside the top 30. Okay. So that's their best receiver. You can't win like that, Kenny. You can't win like that. That's tough. And on the defensive end, too, they do not take away team's best player other the, the, the other team constantly plays at their strength and today it was not stopping the run and not containing Terry McLaurin as well
Now, reportedly, the Packers were looking at Claypool. Do you think if they got Claypool, that would change anything? No, I don't. No. That's just another, you know, another receiver outside the top 30 who's going to need to get acclimated. It's going to take a, it's going to take a, I mean, it's going to take at least, at least with them playing, I don't know when their bye week is, but it's going to take at least a three-game acclimation period for him to play, you know, the full amount of snaps and passing plays and usage and be productive in that usage as well, at least three weeks. So now you look at the trade day line, you add, you add on three weeks, now they're into December. So one way or the other, that doesn't really move um, the needle for their pass game. Is Matt LaFleur getting a little bit exposed, obviously, when he was with Tennessee and he was the OC there and he got the job uh, in Green Bay? He had a already made team, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari. He had all these guys, all these all pros, all these pro bowlers. And now, as we've seen the Packers steadily get worse in the talent department, uh, the team just not as good. How much blame does that fall on LaFleur? Yeah, it does. I mean, he's had Aaron Rodgers, but I mean, he, I mean, he, he, he was an offensive coordinator for one year in Tennessee. They were, I mean, they were in the twenties in scoring. They were in the twenties in scoring. You know, he gets a Hall of Fame quarterback with 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 Devontae Adams, able to ride that. Now with that gone, you're not seeing the creativity. Uh, you know, he's going to have to do more with less. That was not the case through the previous few years. So as a play caller, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's got to get better. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to talk more week seven of NFL action. Cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm still Kenny Sim with us, getting expert for 247 Sports as we break down and recap everything that went down for Week 7 of NFL action. So, Kenny, Cowboys versus Lions. How did Dak look to you in his first game back with the Cowboys after injury? Oh, I looked pretty good. Got in and out of the huddle. Operated the offense quickly. Efficiently, from a passing game standpoint, they have a really good roster. So, you know, they gave the quarterback a little bit more than with Cooper Rush while still playing to the strength of their full team. So, do the ball pretty accurately, getting in a rhythm ahead of the sticks. And from there, they were able to, you know, control the game the run and really take advantage of that defense that forced five turnovers in the second half. But I expect them to give Dak more as as the season builds on. This was a good a good test today to get back into it. Home against the Lions defense that has really struggled 
and for him to kind of get his feet wet. And for, 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 for the most part, it was an encouraging start. Any concerns that Dallas was a more dominant offensively, given the fact that the Lions literally have like the worst defense in the NFL? Yeah, you know the, you know the last couple of weeks the Lions have made some adjustments, been a little bit better on third down. Dallas was not good today on third down, uh, but you know maybe, <clears throat> maybe a little bit more in the passing game. You know they're really working. They're really working on Noah Brown a lot. But this is one where, you know, eventually getting a full amount of uh, routes for Michael Gallup as a guy that can stretch the field down uh, down the field. Gallup, Lamb, Dalton Schultz is Dalton Schultz in the middle. Uh, so, you know, that was a really solid one-two punch they had last year with Lamb and Cooper. And so the Dallas pass game, it's not going to be like it was a couple of years ago when they were number one in passing in the NFL. You know, uh, Penny Sewell, uh, something I did notice from the game that I do want to say, Penny Sewell did the best job I've seen any offensive tackle do of going one-on-one with Micah Parsons. Good feet, quick hands, biting him up a lot of the time. I was extremely impressed. And then you, yeah. see, you see the was Cowboys. Was he getting good depth on his kick slide? Yeah, yeah. And then you That's see... You yeah. you, then you see... Micah go over to uh, the other side where the left tackle is. I believe his name's Taylor Decker. And then he just starts bending right by him and blowing right by him. And I'm like, that's what Dallas should do. But Penny Sewell did a fantastic job. Right now, Penny Sewell would be my first team all-pro offensive tackle. Penny Sewell's been absolutely okay. fantastic. Given, given Trent Williams a little bit of a run for his money. Just a little bit. A little friendly competition between the bigs. So next, and he did do a good job. Now, now I will say, on the other end, it shows how it shows how opportunistic that Dallas defense was with Michael Parsons, like you mentioned. Uh, probably on the other side, he did get that sack and QB hit. But this was a Dallas defense that forced five turnovers in the second half, and that really won the game. For Dallas, they got that stop on the goal line in a 10-6 game, and then Dallas rattled off. Ready for this? Twenty-one points off turnovers. That was the only difference between the teams today. But it was Dallas. You know, second half they gave the Cowboys offense short field, really short field, two of those, and they took advantage with that. But you know, overall. That's a team that takes the ball away for you on defense. A staple of Dan Campbell or a staple of Dan Quinn the last two years. So next we have the Giants versus the Jaguars. The Giants six and one. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Brian Dayball 
Don, Wink Marndale, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. And you know, the most amazing thing to me, Candy, that they do this, they do this really without great team speed on either side of the ball. Like, they're not a very fast team. Really, besides Saquon, I wouldn't say, and Daniel Jones is very fast for a quarterback, too. But on the outside of the tight end position, they're really not fast. On defense, uh, they're more of a front seven to kind of team. In the back end, they're not super fast, super twitchy, super quick. They just do it by beating the crap out of you and playing smart, tough, fundamentally sound football. The Giants, they're kind of like a throwback team. They are. They do a lot of different things in the run game. So, taking it the two tight end sets, taking it three tight end sets with Saquon Barkley. Sometimes last couple of weeks they even used Saquon Barkley in a wildcat package any which way to get him the ball and to utilize that run game to control the game and they did a couple of games now they, uh, they've had over 200 yards rushing but they stick to the run they're physical up front and they do a lot of different things from a schematic standpoint to run the football. What does Saquon have to do to be in the MVP conversation? Because right now, he's projected for like 1,000 and 1,700 yards and like 10 plus touchdowns. And I think like 40 catches for like 600 receiving yards. So what does he have to do to pull off a Marshall Falk-like season, a Adrian Peterson-like season? What does he have to do? You know, it's going to have to be something like what Adrian Peterson did in 2012. We saw at the end of the year, last year, Jonathan Taylor was on pace for 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. And he was not, a, I mean, he was mentioned, like he was not a serious tender. So it's just been an award that's not really meant for non quarterbacks anymore. So he would have to. He would have to break like a single season rushing record, over two thousand yards, twenty some touchdowns, and you know, right now by the looks of it, looks like the Giants' the record is going to be there. You know, as a solid, you know, I mean, I don't know, twelve, thirteen wins, but the record, if the record's there, at that high of a level, at least in the conversation, but. It's just hard right now. It's not, you know, it's not really a, uh, it's not really a non-quarterback award right now. How disappointed are you in Trevor Lawrence? The Jaguars are two and five. When they're wildly more talented than that record. Yeah. Now, give it the rest of the year, but getting a little concerned with them, you know. Last year was last year, so I want to see what he does this full year. But, you know, for a guy that was a number one pick, would be a generational prospect. This should be a second-year leap, like a Joe Burrow and a uh, Justin Herbert, even. And that's not the case. There's a lost fumble today. Did not like the last play of the game. That ball's got to be in the end zone. It cannot be short at all. And it was. So the decision-making there, you know, a couple of games, what was it? It was a four-turnover game. So, you know, you start looking at it. Now I guess I look at what, 
what what are some of the top traits, the top you know items that he brings to the table? Because he's not at the leader in quarterback rating. He's not the league leader, even though you know completions over expected, or at least pushing the ball down the field. Doesn't protect the football, so it'd be a better gauge at the end of the year. But right now. You know, the leap is not there. Remember, this is this, this is the number one pick. So expectations, he's got to give a lot more than what he's doing right now. This was an opportunity today as well. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. He should be so much better than what he is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Doug Peterson's there. Uh, you would just think the develop. The development track would be more ahead of schedule than what it is. And Kenny, I'll tell you this. My biggest concern is that he's going to end up being a Carson Wentz. A really talented guy that never figures it out. Because you look at Carson yeah, right Wentz. Now, looking like he's going to be like a Wentz. You know, like a Wentz. Like a Goff even. But, uh, you know, the leap. The second year leap. You know, we have seen. In the modern NFL, top quarterbacks take that leap in year two. A Patrick Mahomes, still another guy, big leap in year two. Yeah, Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl in a year two. Got his chance to start a lot of these guys. Uh, but yeah, the Carson wants the Trevor Lawrence comparisons keep going in my head. Big, strong arm quarterbacks, athletically talented, against scramble, but just. Poor decision makers can't figure it out. Don't have the moxie for the position. And it's uh, really sad and unfortunate. So next, let's go to this. The New York Jets. Kenny. We're at five wins here with the Jets. If I told you the Jets would be five and two right now, how shocked would you have been? Be pretty shocked. Thought they were going to get some wins this year, especially towards the end of the year once, you know, a couple of these rookies get games under their belt. But, man, looks like they're a couple of games ahead of schedule in this season. The Jets are a full day of work. The plan is coming together more quickly than expected. They're, they're physical up front. Brees Hall and Michael Carter. They continue to control games and take the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands because of their offensive line. Run game one, a two-headed monster. Defensively, a guy like a Quinn Williams really getting after it. Take a look at the pressure rate. He's winning his one-on-ones. He's a force with that middle pressure. He's the anchor of that front four that does not blitz a lot, so they got to get pressure with four. They're getting pressure with four. So they're really strong in the trenches as well. Like I said, very hard to find a bad team that is strong in both trenches. Ironically, they're doing this without Zach Wilson playing particularly well, which is something I think everybody thought with all the weapons that New York got. How concerned would you be if you're the Jets, even though you're winning right now, but that Zach Wilson isn't really necessarily playing up to the level that you would expect with all the offensive talent you've gotten around him. Yeah, I'd be pretty concerned because right now they're doing a good job uh, 
uh, you know, taking the game out of his hands, having him manage it, really focusing on that run game and defense. Now, eventually, especially with a young team, that type of style can only go so far. They get over the hump of, you know, competing with the Bills, even competing, even at least matching Tua, what he's asked to do as well, you know, to make the playoffs like that. So, especially with this on tape, they did get a huge bump with Brees Hall in the run game. Now, he's probably going to miss the rest of the year with an ACL. So, if they begin to see more and more stacked boxes, crowded boxes, put the games in, the, in Zach Wilson's hands, the opportunity will be there for him to make plays, and we'll have to see it, especially against the better teams. The Bills and the Patriots are going to make him uh, beat them. And he does have the weapons on the perimeter to do that. So, he will have his opportunity, but right now it is a concern that, you know, a little bit of a the style is flash in the pan where they are winning some games, um, but over the course of time, eventually it's going to fall on the quarterback, you know, to complete those comebacks, to complete those third and obvious pass situations and, and make plays as a playmaker. Any concerns with what's going on in the New York Jets receiving room, obviously, to begin the year. Uh, Denzel uh, Mims uh, won it out, and then the Jets say we're not going to trade him. And then just recently, Elijah Moore's kind of like, I won out. Uh, any concerns with any of that? Because for a young team that's having success, two receivers that you drafted, they've both kind of been like, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. There's Mavis not getting the ball. <laughs> You know, Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore last week. No, they held him out today, probably, to keep him healthy for a possible trade. But, I mean, last week and a couple weeks ago, he was in like 80% of their routes. So he's playing, he's running the pass routes, he's just not getting the ball. Same thing with Denzel Mims as well. Isn't it really sad, though, when guys, like, they're not happy that they're winning because, like, it always it, it almost makes me feel like. So what you're saying is, if the Jets were, let's say, zero and seven right now, but you were getting a lot of balls, you'd be okay. Yeah, if you were getting a lot of targets at zero and seven, you'd be okay. <laughs> but like, you're well, actually guys, winning. Guys, can't, can't go to war with them. And Zach Wilson made a comment that I thought was super uh, mature and, you know, it, it, it kind of showed Zach Wilson gets it. And he made a statement, you know, like, I'm a quarterback. I want to throw the ball. And he's like, but right now it's better for the team for us to run the football and play defense. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. And again, I'm sure Zach Wilson would love to throw it 50 times. I'm sure he would enjoy it. And just as much as Elijah Moore would. But that's just not the style of football that's going to help them win. So when your number's called and the ball comes your way, catch it, make your plays, block your butt off, and come win some football games. And it'll be fun. Because you know what's fun, Kenny? Playoff football's pretty fun. 
yeah, it's just not, it's just not, just, just hard to be a winner like that, you know, when the team is not being put first. The team always got to be put first. Is that you know, guy, you know, a guy in that receiver room not complaining, even though he's not being targeted probably as much as he should, Garrett Wilson, team player. So Zach Wilson, he was uh, asked uh, by media after the game uh, about all the injuries that took place because Bryce Hall actually uh, apparently has a serious injury. I don't know if you have any information on that, Kenny. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's an ACL. It's gonna be out for the year. Oh, okay. Well, that's not good. I, uh, Michael, everybody for fantasy, pick up Michael Carter right now. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Uh, but. Zach said what he told the team was in the huddle was, he said, take advantage of the opportunity, step up, time to grow a pair. How do you like that message in the huddle, Kenny? I like it. We see in the NFL, we ask you too, everybody on the game day 46 contributes. Everybody's a starter. So everyone contributes. Everyone plays a lot. There's not there's a lot of roster limitations, unlike college football. 46 guys is not a lot on game day. And if you're a backup, you're one play away from getting thrown into the fire. One play away from being a key cog, like Michael Carter right now. So he has a big opportunity to keep this run game the way it is right now with Brees Hall. And continue to make plays in the past game, which he has in the past, and keep it up to speed. Then, if he does that, he'll be seen not only with the Jets, but across the NFL as a starting caliber running back. Right now, I don't know if he's a starting caliber running back, but he has that opportunity now. You know, it could fall on the receiver. The Jets do have a crowded receiver room. There's there's no doubt about it. They have a crowded receiver room. Um, So... When the number is called, they have an opportunity to make a name for themselves and become a, just a stalwart on the team. And at least in the NFL, with a lot of you know young, unproven guys, which the Jets have in the receiver room right now. How bad is the Broncos' offense on a one to ten? Man, this is bad. This is a nine. Yeah, you can look at some offense, and I get a backup quarterbacks in there, but you can look at some offenses, Kenny, even when there's a backup quarterback, and you can be like, okay, I see the vision, I see the scheme, he's coached up well, this offense looks functional. And then you see other offenses, and you're like, okay, the coaches don't know what they're doing, the quarterback sucks, and this is just a, it's just bad. Do you think that maybe they should get rid of Nathaniel Hackett now? I'm no. To... Not, no. But I agree with what you're saying about the eye test. Listen, this is in 2022 and this is a Broncos team through seven games. Now, this is almost half the season now. Seven games. They've only broken the 16-point mark one time. 
They have had six games with 16 points or less. And, man, right now, I'm just looking. Yeah. At least at the end of the year, you know, no no change to the coach is going to change the fortunes of the Broncos right now looking at the playoff landscape. But if this continues through the full year, which there's zero indications of this trending in the positive direction, especially with no Javante Williams, it would just make the call to relieve Nathaniel Hackett of his duties just so clear. Just, just so clear, you know. So, Kenny, Adam Schefter reported that uh, the Broncos have received multiple trade inquiries for Bradley Chubb, Jerry Judy, and K.J. Hamler. Do you think that there could be any potential that any of those guys would be traded? Another break, and then kind of next with the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk more NFL action. Kind of next with the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. AFC Championship game. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. Stakes are high. Tensions even higher. Mothers anxiously waiting. Children in the stands ready to cry if their team goes home and doesn't get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Your pulse racing. He kicks. And you watch as the ball lands. Recovered. Onside kick. Oh, my gosh. Touchdown, Josh Allen. The Bills. They're going back to the Super Bowl. 
Only in my dreams, right? Now, make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make this even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins, just place a $5 bet on any football game. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code TPPN. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Kenny Sim with us. So, Kenny, LA Chargers versus Seattle Seahawks. What a game. Well, not really a game from the Chargers' perspective, but what an upset by Seattle. So, we have a lot of shocking uh, games that went on today. What was the most shocking for you? Buccaneers, Panthers, Packers. Commanders or Seahawks Chargers? Definitely Bucks Panthers. Definitely that. So that's still beating Seahawks Chargers. Yeah, because Bucks were a thirteen point favorite against a against a team that's tanking, a totally gutless team. In the Panthers, Chargers roster, Chargers roster is top five in the NFL. Top five roster versus a bottom five roster. Yet the bottom five roster blows out the top five roster. That sounds like that goes directly on the heels of the coach. And I hate to kill the John Carroll guys, Kenny, because I love them and I rep them, but. Is the seat starting to heat up a little bit for Staley? How much blame does he deserve in all this? It should. I mean, today, today's game, I didn't think was that surprising. Now, maybe not 14 points, but I didn't think. I mean, I thought the Seahawks had a great chance to win that game. I mean, just think about it like this. If Seattle and the Los Angeles Chargers played that same game, next week and they flip coaching staffs Pete Carroll and the Chargers win that game I mean, and, and this was a and, and Pete Carroll is still very energetic elite coach this was a coaching mismatch today even with the discrepancy in rosters this was a huge coaching a huge coaching difference coming into that game and something I want to uh, Oh, no, go. What were you yeah, going to say? But, but he, yeah, but he's got to be getting a little bit hot for Brandon Staley to underperform like this. Not throwing the ball down the field with Justin Herbert. His <laughs> defense his defense continues to get shredded week in and week out. Yeah, 
Now, there's so many points that we can, you know, get to with all this. So, so we got to take our time here. Pete Carroll. First, I want to give Pete his props. I have not always been the biggest supporter of Pete Carroll. Uh, when I was doing my top coach in the NFL, I ended up having Pete Carroll 10th, Kenny. That was wrong on my part. I had guys like Matt LaFleur ahead of Pete Carroll. Uh, and sometimes I think we get into recency bias and we get into this little lull. We're looking, okay, what has he done in the last few years? What's going on with Russell Wilson? And maybe it was more Russell Wilson than it was Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll can still coach. Like you said, he's still fresh. The energy is still there. They are a very fundamentally sound football team. They're not the most talented football team, but they play hard as hell, Kenny. They play hard as hell. And Geno Smith. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I have the utmost respect for how Geno Smith is playing. This team is playing with house money. And not only that, Kenny, they believe they should be here. Like, I think Pete Carroll in his heart believes that they should win the division. I think Pete Carroll believes he's going to win the division. Uh, so just props to the Seattle Seahawks. In terms of the Chargers, you know, Staley was coaching at John Carroll as the defensive coordinator when I was freshman. When I was a freshman. So that would have been 2016-2017. So yeah, that's about... 2016, you was there in D3. Yes. So that's about six years. Okay? He's now the head coach. Fast forward five years, right? Head coach of an NFL team last year. Do you think it's possible that too much was given too soon? Because in five years, we're talking about you're not even the head coach of a D3 program. You're the defensive coordinator of a D3 program, and you go to that to now being the head coach of an NFL program. Completely different levels of football. Yeah, and only a defensive coordinator for one year in the NFL. Uh, but it's been a lot of coaching gaps. Fourth down decisions have been puzzling, to say the least. You know, like it looks like a little kid on Madden. <laughs> with some of the with, with with some of the decisions, I mean, you know, going for a deep in their own territory, and this defense though <clears throat> is a very good secondary, but does not matter when teams are not going to throw the ball because they can just gash them on the run. And they were bottom three in run defense last year. They have to be at the bottom of the pack again this year. I gotta check that, but they gotta be right at the bottom of the pack and run defense again. So the physicality up front—it's just such a demoralizer when a team cannot stop the run. You just feel like the other team controls the tempo, controls the terms of the game. This was this game was played on the Seahawks' terms, but this has been happening now for a year and a half. Is this run defense? Not only has it been uh, a problem, but it's just been really, really poor to where it's costing them games. Seriously, though, could Staley get fired at the end of this year? I, I don't see that only because the Los Angeles Chargers and owner Dean, Dean Spanos have always been one to not really want to pay a coach who is fired. So Brandon Staley probably got a probably got a five-year deal, actually. Um, four or five. So after two years, that is a quick hook. 
one where it does seem like with this team and the way they operate, things would have to really ravel, unravel for the Chargers. A little kid playing Madden. I love that, Kenny. <laughs> that really is what it does look like sometimes with some of the curious coaching decisions. So, this is what some people were saying on Twitter for this game. Coming in today's game, Justin Herbert has a career record of 19 and 19. All he is is a glorified Jay Cutler. The dude's never won a thing. How crazy of a statement is that, Kenny? I mean, I don't think it's that crazy. So just coming in and you're, and you're, uh, this was year three. Let's just pump the brakes on Justin Herbert. At least get to the playoffs first before we have a discussion of a top 10 quarterback. So you're starting to get out on Justin Herbert. You're a little out on him right now. Yeah, I was never fully in, though. I was never fully in. Remember, it was that game against the Texans two weeks two weeks before the end of the season last year. Multiple turnover game. That's why they were in the play-in, the, the play-in game with the Raiders. This year, too, you know, even taking a look at the goal line. You know, the goal line against Kansas City, the big six there. Things add up, but just... Just got to be able just at least to win first and at least make the playoffs before the discussion can be had before you start putting this guy way at the top of anything. So J.C. Jackson, he goes down with a non-contact injury. Is this going to seem like he's going to be out for the year? Uh, possibly. So he dislocated his knee. So this Ooh. is a significant injury. So... Multiple weeks. Do not know if it's going to be to the end of the year, but dislocated knee. That sounds, you know, pretty significant. That uh, it's up in the air whether he returns at all this year. Specifically for a corner. Yep. Yep. I mean, a lot of running, jumping, cutting. It'd be a little bit different if you were like an offensive lineman, where you can kind of stay in the phone booth a little bit, and you're not having to. Uh, do all this, put all this pressure um, and stress on your joints and your knees, right? At corner, that's that's all it is. You're backpedaling against these freaky wide receivers. You're having to stop on a dime, so a dislocated knee, that does not sound good for that position. Same with DK. DK got carted off. Any news on DK? Uh, one last thing on, on J.C. Jackson is also, too, a corner who just got paid. He got his money. Uh DK got carted off. I believe DK has a knee. He's got a knee injury. Do not know the significance of that, though. So, nothing on the x-ray, but uh, we'll have to see about an MRI if there's any ligament damage done. But he he, he was carted off, and it wasn't me. So, the Titans have won... Five straight games, Titans versus Colts, and the Colts had to be the sad casualty of that. Titans quietly hottest team in the NFL? 
loss was on Monday Night Football to the Bills, 0-2. People wanted to blow it all up, and the Titans have not lost since. They have gotten it together, and they're right back at 4-2. Leader, definitely the leader in the AFC South. And this was a team did not have a lot of talent as other one seeds in the past. They were the one seed last year in the AFC. And right now, they are definitely the prohibitive favorite to win the division and therefore host a playoff game. Are you shocked by how they've just kind of dominated the Colts? Yeah. Yeah, they came in from the start and they just pushed the Colts around. You know, the, the, the run game by Derrick Henry today controlled the game. 35 of the 55 plays were on the run. They were able to utilize Derrick Henry. 30 carries, control the game that way, not ask Ryan Tannehill to do a lot. And then defensively, that defensive line really got after it. And uh, definitely got to pay attention to what we've been talking about on the show. This Colts offensive line is not like the Colts offensive line of the past. This is not a good offensive line. This is a below average offensive line. Minus Quinton Nelson. But the Titans got so much pressure today on Matt Ryan. All three of those top top defensive linemen slash pass rushers that we talked about, all three had sacks today. They were getting pressure and hits on Matt Ryan all game. It just feels like outdoor weather, not in the friendly confines of a dome. In outdoor weather, and you get pressure on Matt Ryan, man, it is tough for him to operate. So Jim Ursay said that Matt Ryan as a leader is comparable to Peyton Manning. Uh, right up there with Peyton Manning. You think Jim Ursay is compensating a little bit with comments like these? Yeah, he's trying to pump up a veteran like Matt Ryan in that regard. But, you know, Matt Ryan is a, I mean, he, he's a veteran. He's been around the block. Very accomplished, respected quarterback. But uh, not at the Peyton Manning level of intangibles. So next, let's go to this, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, they were pretty amazing against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, this is for coming Yaz on Twitter. Burrow, 501 passing yards. Tyler Boyd, 155, excuse me, receiving yards, 155 receiving yards by Tyler Boyd. Jamar Chase, 130 receiving yards. T. Higgins, 93 receiving yards. Defense, no touchdowns allowed in the second half this season. If we ain't the greatest, then we headed for it. Do some of these Cincinnati fans have a point, Kenny? They do. They do. This is this is a red hot team right now. Cincinnati. What I've noticed watching the Saints game last week. They begin to transition from the fact that their offensive line might sound better on paper than it was last year. Maybe the individuals are better, but as a whole, they're not. 
have been doing the last few weeks is they have been doing what they did last year in their playoff run to get to the playoffs and in their Super Bowl run. And from an offensive line standpoint, I know they got different guys. Kind of the same result. What they have done is they have put the game in Joe Burrow's hands. They have gone five out. Five pass catchers out in the formation. They've gone five out. Prevent pressure. For defenses have to cover all those guys. And have Joe Burrow as the point guard. Distributing the football. Getting the ball out of his hands quicker. He's got the ball out of his hands quicker the last three weeks than he did the first three weeks. See the stack numbers go down. The efficiency of that offense has gone up. They have completely put the offense in Joe Burrow's hands to operate as that point guard, find the matchup, and just like last year, man, does he have a lot of options to pick in those one-on-ones as a point guard of this team. I give the Bengals the best chance of interrupting. Bills... Chiefs, they did it last year. I think they can do it again. I think they can go player for player with both of those teams, and they can get into that bar fight, that that gun match. Uh, And they got some big guns themselves. Joe Burrow's not afraid of the moment. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, if the offensive line continues uh, to keep developing. And let's also remember this. During the playoffs, they had multiple games where their defense, particularly their secondary, came up with game-clinching interceptions. They got a bunch of gamers on there. They got a bunch of gamers on there. Cincinnati will be a issue if they are playing well at the right time. and They have the talent to go toe-to-toe with both those teams. As for the Atlanta Falcons, so I got a tweet up here. And this is from Start Writer Free Pits. I actually, I love that Twitter name. Start writer free pits. Once again, you don't draft Kyle Pitts and Drake London if you planned on being a run-first team. But you know what the sad truth is? They're doing it because Mariota can't throw. Thoughts, Kenny? That's something that needs to be considered. Only 27 throws in the last two weeks. 27 throws for a game is relatively low for NFL quarterbacks. But today, it was another one. It was 13 passes only. But, I will say, the amount of pressure and stress that puts on the offense is extremely difficult. Because the run game is a numbers game. If teams stack the box and they're running the ball predominantly two every three times, all they need, the defense, needs one stop. And now it's third and third and six, third and seven. And it is hard to constantly convert third and six, third and seven, three, four, five times on a drive let alone having to do that drive after drive. So they're trying to do it with a, with a run game right now, using Mariota in the run game right now. But let's keep an eye if this continues to happen and the point output and the losses are not getting there if they decide to turn it over to Desmond Ritter. 
Yeah. Atlanta, they might need to make a change. But I will say this, Atlanta, they run the ball extremely well. And shout out to Arthur Smith. Again, a lot of people are hating on him for the whole Kyle Pitts fantasy fiasco. Arthur, Arthur Smith's a good football coach, Kenny. They manage the game extremely well. And we're seeing a lot of good coaching, particularly by the Falcons and the Seahawks coaching staff. Bottom five rosters to start the season. Four and three, three and four, respectively. Both those teams have a chance to win their divisions. And they're doing a lot better than any of us thought they could do at this point in the season. Right now, the Falcons and the Seahawks have the same record as teams like the Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. And Kenny, like you said, that Bill Parcells line, you are what your record says you are. It's a wins or losses league. Now, I will say this. For the Atlanta Falcons, four of the next five games are against the Bears, the Commanders, and the Panthers twice. So, this is a big five-game stretch for them because it's a little harder at the end, but this is a pretty soft stretch. If they're able to stay afloat in the division after these five games, and we went over how you know they should be favored in the majority of these games, if they stay afloat and the division is realistically in reach, I do not believe they'll see a quarterback change, unless specifically Marcus Mariota is holding them back. If they begin to lose, which is possible, if they lose to the Panthers a few times, if they lose to the Bears and Commanders, then, as the month of December hits, that's when you see uh, Desmond Ritter, if not maybe a little earlier, right around Thanksgiving, if they're out of it, and they begin to think, okay, the division is not out of if, if, if the division is out of reach. You get the young guy in there. You get a look. You get a sample of about five six games. Also knowing you kind of probably going to improve your draft status a little bit because they still need a lot of work on that roster. So right now, as long as he's not holding them back, I don't know if they're going to make that move right now, just due to all the winnable games coming up for them. And why would they? They're winning right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why would they? Yeah, as long as he's not specifically holding them back. But they are going to need to throw the ball a little bit more, even if it's 20 times. Because also, they're not running enough plays to putting a lot of stress on the full team as well. Even if they run 50 plays, I mean, that's about, you know, they're running about 20% less than the rest of the league. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break and then kind of next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to keep talking some NFL. Kind of next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're 
back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Kenny Sim with us. So, Kenny, Ravens versus Browns. Tough 23-20 loss. You called it gutless on the Browns side. Tell me your thoughts of the game. Once again, just a, another another game. It, it, it was, it's the... It's the correct, it's the actionable items that have become themes week in and week out that are not being fixed. Offensively. Situational football. It's not, it's not giving Nick Chuck the ball. Only 16 carries for Nick Chuck, and he was gashing the Ravens. It's not focusing on they got a backup quarterback. You got to call the game differently. This is not a starting quarterback. You got to call the game differently. And there's teams like the, so the Titans, the Jets, the Giants, winning with more passes than runs. The defense, it's the defense. Other than Miles Garrett, it's the defense underperforming again. Now, again, uh, they match up. Their personnel against a tight end heavy run based team with the Ravens, it matches up pretty good from a passing standpoint. But the Ravens didn't ask Lamar Jackson to really throw the ball and win the game because they were running the ball whenever they wanted that will. And it was these long drives, just just not tough up front, that front seven, just getting four, five, six yards of carry. Time of possession, Baltimore favor. And then the special teams. I counted to that. The hidden yards that you do not see in the box score. The Ravens special teams had 125 more yards in special teams. From returns, a 50-yard return, to uh, Browns taking the ball out and having a penalty, and they start 15 yards back. That's a minus 15. That's another 15 for the Ravens. Things like that. And then the situational football at the end has been a very disheartening scene. Third and two, kind of got an offensive pass interference on Amari Cooper, but third and two, when you need a field goal, that's got to be a run to Nick Chubb. It's not players at the end, not plays. And then just so, just total total self-destruction on the, on the potential field goal. You know, it was an offside, multiple guys moving, the kick was blocked. It had, no, it had zero confidence in that kick would even get off. And, you know, the situational football at the end with the game on the line, the Browns have zero poise right now. Gus Edwards, his first game back from knee inj- uh, from having a pretty significant knee injury, uh, kind of shreds the Browns. Were you kind of shocked at that? Uh, yes, for Gus Edwards, no in terms of the run game. Uh, yes, I'm Gus Edwards because this was his first game back in two years, and they have three running backs active now with J.K. Dobbins hurt. I thought they'd kind of go majority Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill, but Gus Edwards was out there. Uh, he led the Ravens and carries, and the first possession on offense, he started the game right by Lamar Jackson. So 
he was the starter today, and they threw him right in. So that was surprising how quickly they threw him in. And it seems like they're probably going to go back to that, you know, until he gets hurt, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely Hill as a complimentary piece, but it looks like it's going to be a lot of Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson, just like in 2018, and probably sprinkle in Kenyon Drake to spell Gus Edwards. But it looks like Gus Edwards' backfield right now. How much? I do, do you, worry on? I do worry on the workload off the injury, though. How much do you think the Ravens are going to miss J.K. Dobbins? Let's go to this. The Las Vegas Raiders beat the Houston Texans. The most complete game of football from the Raiders this year, right? Yeah, probably. Are the Raiders, would you say this is a game that the Raiders can build off of or it's just, you know, more bad Texans and they, you know, they're just taking advantage of the week here? So next, let's go to this Monday Night Football, Patriots versus Bears. Who you got in this one, Kenny? I got the New England Patriots in this one. I got the Patriots. See a deficient Bears team 
you know Bill Belichick is going to make the opposing offense play one-handed, tie one hand around the back. Bears, Bears are already kind of like that. Kenny, so I, I don't think they have any hands. <laughs> yeah, I expect them to really, really stack the box and stop the run on another team like the Bears. They're not running a lot of plays. They're not throwing the ball a lot. Force Justin Fields to make plays against some of that complex defense, which the Patriots do. If they could exclusively do that, that defense might win the game for them uh, alone. Offensively, be really interested to see how Bailey Zappi does in another start against an opportunistic and underrated Bears defense. And if he could keep playing, playing at this level, he get another week to keep Mac Jones healthy. But I've liked what I've seen from him. Seeing if he continue to operate again, and they should get Damian Harris back as well. So now Stevenson and Harris back to that two-man running back room, and they should be able to utilize that and continue to put Zappy in opportunistic situations. So I like the Patriots tomorrow. And one thing I do want to say about Zappi, uh, I know he wasn't a highly talented quarterback, but he threw a lot of balls in college at Western Kentucky or wherever he was from. Uh, yeah, Houston Baptist in Western Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, he was throwing for like 5,000 yards. And he was like close to leading the nation in attempts. So he was getting a lot of balls. Uh, he's definitely not like a Trey Lance who, you know, was only throwing it 15 times a game. No, he was throwing it 40, 50 times a game. He was letting it rip. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing it again next week. And once again, I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 496th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.